Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hey, everyone. I'm Julie Gunlock with the Independent Women's Forum and your host for today's Working for Women podcast. Today, I'm really excited to be talking to Liz Mayer. She's a political and communications consultant in Washington, D.C., and she's the founder of Mayer Strategies. She's worked for U.S. politicians, including Rand Paul, Scott Walker, Rick Perry, and Carly Fiorina. And she's also the national spokesperson for Vapors United. It's an advocacy group that opposes excessive regulation and taxation of the e-cigarette industry. Thanks for joining me, Liz. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I, I want to get your um, personal interest in this, this issue and also talk about um, some actions on the part of FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, recently that may make it harder for people to get the products that they need. So first of all, tell us a little bit about Vapors United and your own interest in this issue. Yeah, so I'll tell you a little bit about the organization, and then I'll give you some background on kind of why I am where I am and why I'm doing this work. Um, But Vapors United is a 501c4 organization that we set up really to advocate on behalf of vapors themselves and also small vape shop owners principally. Um, Those are voices in this debate that tend to get drowned out quite a bit. You obviously have some larger industry players. You have some larger, more established advocacy groups that have tended to gear themselves towards being anti-tobacco in the past and now have moved on to talking about vaping. And we come at this from a different perspective. And the reason that we do and the reason that I set this up is because of my own personal history with smoking and with vaping. Um, To give a little bit of context there, I was uh, pretty much on a daily basis a smoker from the age of 18 until probably, I'm trying to think, whatever I was when I was 2011. Um, So certainly past the age of 30. So coming up on, I guess, 34 at that point, roughly. Um, And, you know, I had periods where I would be capable of stopping for maybe a week or two weeks, but it never stuck. Um, I got to a point where I could diminish the amount that I was smoking, but I couldn't entirely quit. And there are a lot of products on the market that are designed to help people with that. Um, Frankly, I found that because I wasn't actually a heavy enough smoker, I wasn't able to use the patch because it would have actually increased my nicotine, um, which was not going to be good in terms of, you know, my ability to function and not be a nervous wreck the whole time. Um, Nicorette, I actually found that Nicorette gum also immediately sort of – increased my nicotine intake to such a level that I felt very jittery when I was using it. And so that was not ideal. Um, I never tried uh, Chantix, but I know other people who did and had absolutely horrific experiences with it. Um, There are some other issues that I have in terms of medication that I need to take that raise questions about whether it was going to interact properly or work Mm. anyway. And so I didn't go that route. Um, But I did start hearing about vaping. And I started doing a little bit of looking around online, and I discovered a company that made e-cigarettes that looked exactly like cigarettes. They were a little heavier than cigarettes, of course, because they're made out of metal. But when you inhaled, the end of them lit up red, just like a normal cigarette would. You inhaled something that obviously feels and tastes a little different to smoke, um, and then you exhaled it. And so for, for somebody who had been in the pattern of going outside and having a cigarette to de-stress in a stressful work situation and was very used to that sort of hand-to-mouth action and breathing in and exhaling strongly. 
and actually having, you know, I think that, that people do deep breathing to relax, right? And I think that's, right. that's not to commend cigarettes or vaping, but I think that that's one of the reasons why people do become reliant on cigarettes. And it's one of the reasons why I think vaping sometimes works better if you're trying to quit, or at least in my experience, that's one of the reasons I believe that yes. it worked for me. So I ordered these e-cigarettes, um, and the wonderful thing about them was that I could pick a whole range of nicotine levels. I could ratchet down to the point where I was intaking zero nicotine, and that mm. really provided me wow. with a pathway for stopping smoking, which, frankly, I just didn't see on the market. I didn't see any other way of doing that, and I tried lots of other things. I tried going cold turkey. I tried these other nicotine delivery methods, and they hadn't worked for me. So I gave this a go, and it did work. And yeah. at the end of the day, um, it meant that you know, I think for maybe like something between six and nine months, I was still using the e-cigarette, yeah. probably for the latter three of that using no nicotine cartridge, just the cartridge that produced pure vapor. Um, and wow. after that, I was able to stop. And I think that's that's a very important experience for me to talk about with people, because yeah. I don't think that folks who have not gone through that personal experience really understand how powerful that can be and what the health ramifications of it are. I will also say that while I generally try to avoid introducing members of my family into public debate surrounding issues, my husband also managed to quit smoking in part with wow. the help of vapor. Um, now wow. he's the guy who started smoking like a pack a day Marlboro Reds when he was 14. <laughs> and when I got, when I got pregnant, um, which I believe was when I was 35, possibly 34, I may be miscounting my years. <laughs> he just, he, he had not been able to stop. Um, he had oh. been able to ratchet to like light marker lights. He'd been able yeah. to cut. He wasn't maybe having 20 a day. Maybe he was having 15 a day, yeah. but you know, that's all just tinkering around the edges. And one of the things that did enable him to stop was he did switch to vaping and he did the same thing that I did. He started with a very heavy dose of nicotine that was, yep. you know, comparable with what he'd be getting in cigarettes, eventually worked to the no nicotine, um, vapor cartridges. And he hasn't smoked the last cigarette that he had. Uh, I believe he had a mild panic when I was in the hospital in labor and he went and bummed a cigarette off of one guy, smoked like two puffs off of it, was horrified and disgusted and came running back in and he hasn't smoked since. So, you know, I, I lay all of this out and I know it's detailed and I know it's a lot of information. No, it's I think wonderful. People, I think a lot of people who haven't gone through this experience, they don't understand why these can be important tools. Yeah. And yes, we Obviously, we don't want our kids starting using them. I have a four and a half year old little boy. I don't want him to ever be a vapor. Yeah. I don't want him to be a smoker. Yeah. I frankly don't want him overeating chocolate chip cookies either. And we talk about all of those things. <laughs> However, you know, for people who are in these circumstances and they want to quit, we don't have a ton of health data that necessarily shows what any adverse consequences of vaping can be. We have a ton of health data that shows the adverse consequences of cigarettes. And then we have a ton right. of anecdotal data like you would get from somebody like me or my husband, we simply don't get colds as much. When we get colds, they aren't as bad. Yeah. You know, I don't necessarily have to be in a situation where every time I have a cold, I have to go running to the doctor on day one in order to get some sort of prescription. Um, right. It's had a major impact on our ability to run further, faster, and to do other things that keep us healthy and in shape. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I would say to people that if they're trying to quit smoking, um, they need to consider a whole array of options. But, yeah, this might be one of them. And ideally, well, you do it in such a way where you're not using that long term either and improves your overall health, health outcomes. Well, I, I, I can't I can't just I, I honestly I'm so excited to hear your testimony because 
It is um, exactly what I've been talking about. Um, actually, I, I, I've written letters to the FDA. I've testified before mm-hmm. the FDA about how this is, and I, and I don't mean to dismiss, obviously, uh, you know, uh, men who need to quit smoking because they, they also, I, I know, I know several men who's quit smoking using um, vaping products. But, um, mm-hmm. but it's interesting, some of the neurological studies on women um, really do point to, and I know there's not a lot of, of studies on this stuff, but there are studies on, on why women smoke. And it's mm-hmm. interesting that a lot of the neurological studies talk about nicotine receptors and how women don't have as many, whereas men do. And so they need alternatives to just nicotine replacement. And what, when you talk about that habit, the taste, the smell, uh, the hand-to-mouth habits. You know, a lot of women, and, and, and look, I, I smoked in college, and I, I, I did it for the appetite suppressant um, qualities of it, right? And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of other reasons that women smoke. And so the vaping, the, the very act of vaping um, imitates those things. So I've been talking about that. So to hear this from you um, and how that really helped you sort of imitating um, the same actions as smoking is really, really great testimony on this. And so, so, so but, but but let's talk. Let's let's pivot a little bit to talk about the FDA. We've seen a lot right. of actions from the FDA. Obviously, you know this latest announcement about Juul, and they have to prove that they're they're trying. You know, I mean, I don't know what these, I don't know what these e-cigarette companies like Juul, what else they can do to prove that they're you know not marketing to children. They're certainly not. But they're also talking about a flavor ban. Talk a little bit about the flavors and why this could. I mean, San Francisco's already banned them. This is this could mm-hmm. really hamper people's ability because the flavors are kind of critical uh, to making these vape pens attractive. Correct? Um, I I think they can be. Uh, personally, I will I will state right up front that I have no earthly idea why anybody wants to inhale pina colada flavored vapes <laughs> at all. Uh, it's beyond me. Um, and. You know, when I hear people talk about that, I, I'm kind of like, well, you know, maybe, maybe there's a reason that Scott Gottlieb is thinking about this the way that he is. That said, um, when we're talking about flavorings, I think the thing that we forget is that, yes, you can go into a vape shop and you can buy pina colada flavored vapor. If you if you are that sort of disgusting individual, you can totally do that. Um, however, there are a ton of other flavors that are on the market that people aren't thinking about as being vapor flavoring because they think of them as being cigarette flavoring, yet right. they are absolutely integral if you are one of these people who is trying to switch from Marlboro Lights to vapor or you're trying to switch from menthol cigarettes to vapor. Those right. flavorings are going to be very important to your success. I mean, right. I don't, I have no way of judging this because I never tried the alternative, but my strong suspicion is if I had not been able to order those cartridges that were explicitly designed to mimic the flavors of Marlboro Light, I just don't think that I would have been successful. I think personally, if I'd gone and got blueberry flavored vapor liquid, I wouldn't have been successful in quitting smoking because it wasn't actually doing enough to mimic the thing I was trying to replace. Right. right. But you know that. But that raises the point: if you ban flavorings, well, then what are you doing? You're saying to the person who's trying to quit smoking and trying to do it using the closest possible experience in terms of texture, in terms of weight, in terms of flavor. Oh, we're, we're going to take one of those tools off the table. Right. And my strong suspicion is, you know, and we don't have data to support this because nobody's actually done this ban and had it in place for long enough for, to, for us to assemble the data. But my strong suspicion is that if you do that, those people who have been used to tasting the flavor of Marlboro cigarettes since they were 14 years old are going to have a damned hard time switching to inhaling something that has no flavor. I mean, right. it's going to be not necessarily terribly different to if you just said, okay, well, instead of smoking a cigarette at the end of the day, uh, go to the steam room. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe that's good. Maybe that maybe that still enables the relax, like the deep breathe, the deep exhalation. Maybe that still enables that process. But I don't think it's going to be a close enough mimic for quite a few people who really are long-term, very, very addicted smokers. And those are the people where, frankly, we should be the most concerned about trying to reduce the harm that they are exposing themselves to because – in the world that we live in, I mean, you guys are a conservative organization. I'm a relatively conservative individual. We have expanded entitlements to such a point that if people continue to engage in extremely harmful behavior, it's right. not them paying for it necessarily. It's all of us, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, so I think there are some real public policy reasons why we have to be concerned about this. I think, you know, when you look at what San Francisco did and you look at their targeting of menthol cigarettes, I totally understand why they'd want to target menthol cigarettes. I mean, menthol cigarettes seem to have the effect of people inhaling deeper, faster. So if you have things that are going to be bad for you and carcinogenic in a cigarette, then of course you're going to be taking that into your system deeper, faster, higher impact, et cetera, et cetera. The problem though is that the way that they wrote that ban, it ends up impacting, you know, menthol replacement flavors that you would have in vapor. It ends up impacting things like wintergreen flavored snus, which are not even a vapor product. Right. But other people have been experimenting again with as a way to quit smoking. Um, and when you do that, that, that's a serious problem because what you're actually doing there is arguably more nefarious than if you're just keeping yeah. people smoking five-a-day Marlboro Lights. You're actually right, right. keeping people who are arguably in taking the worst tobacco products and putting them in a position where they are going to continue to be reliant on those people. And a lot of individuals who smoke menthol cigarettes, I think there's statistics on this that shows you know, smokers in general tend to be among the poorest in society. I think with menthol cigarettes, the data is like even more clear on that. Yes. So again, when you look at the cost to the public and the cost to the taxpayer, as well as the cost to the human being, none of this is very well supported by evidence. And right. you know, this isn't to say that you can't have a regulatory framework. I'm sure that there is a way to come up with one, but I think we just need to be very cautious when we're talking about flavoring bans or a ban on e-cigarettes as a general product or what have you, because at the end of the day, there is a certain category of person who is extremely addicted, who is going to need a bigger array of options than just what the pharmaceutical industry has to offer or trying to go cold turkey and use like quit hotlines, which some do, it does work for some people and doesn't work for others. Well, I'm I'm wondering if, you know, I I feel like I'm backing up here, but just sort of the last question I have is if you could just take a moment and talk about, which I've talked about on previous podcasts, but I think it's important to remind people of why you you and I are sitting here talking about, you know, vaping as a replacement for for traditional combustible cigarettes. And one thing I think Mm -hmm. it's important for our listeners to understand is that, you know, vaping is much safer, much safer than, than, than smoking a traditional cigarette. So can you just give us a quick, like, update, or not really update, but overview of that evidence of the fact that, that vaping is safer and people, you know, and, and, and we have a government, we have several government agencies and also the WHO and international agencies. And, I mean, look, vape, vaping was just banned in Israel. I mean, it's horrible. Of course, cigarettes aren't banned, but vaping, um, you know, e-cigarettes mm-hmm. are banned. So if you could just talk a little bit about how vaping is, is, is there have been multiple studies in, you know, for instance, you know, in England, it's actually encouraged over smoking. So, um, I, right. sorry, this is a long answer, long question, but I, I'd like to, just a quick summary of that. Well, so, I mean, first of all, I'll stipulate that I'm not a scientist. I have a master's degree in international relations, which doesn't necessarily make me the scientific data expert. But I also am British as well as American. And so, yes, what you're talking about in terms of different countries' treatment of vapor, um, I am able to speak to that. And I do think that in the U.K., um, 
you know, you had this issue of going ahead and deeming e-cigarettes and deeming vapor to be a sort of pharmaceutical product, but the way that yeah. pharmaceuticals are regulated in England is so light that that's almost a negligible designation. The only concern about it is if people in other countries where they have highly regulated pharmaceutical industries then say, oh, well, it's a pharmaceutical, you know, what does that mean in terms of the, the sort of cross-border bleed, right? Right. Um, but I, I will say certainly, um, well, I'm not a scientist and I am not necessarily the best person to speak to scientific evidence. I mean, again, when you look at the United Kingdom and you look at where a lot of anti-tobacco campaigners have come down, the thing that's really interesting about it is that in the U.S., you tend to have a lot of anti-tobacco campaigners who have lined up as being anti-vape also. But when you look at the U.K., it's a much more mixed picture. You have people yeah. like Clive Bates, who is a very prominent anti-tobacco campaigner, really can't get on the same page as any tobacco companies whatsoever. Um, but he obviously has taken a pretty firm view that vaping is a better alternative. It doesn't yeah. mean that it's a safe alternative. It doesn't mean that it's ideal. It doesn't mean that it's perfect. But I think his basic point would probably be that just about anything has got to be better than lighting something on fire and then just inhaling the fumes, yeah. right? Which I don't know that you necessarily have to have a PhD in any relevant life science in order to ascertain that lighting something on fire and then breathing it in is probably not the smartest thing if you want to preserve right. your health, particularly right, your right. Res respiratory system. It does kind of stand to reason that probably inhaling some form of water vapor, even if it has other things in it, is going to be at least a little bit better than that. Yeah. Um, you know, the question is, how much better can you make it? Um, and nicotine does have risks, but but clearly when you're looking at nicotine risks, you're not looking at the bevy. You're not looking at cancer. Yeah, nicotine and cancer don't correlate, right? There right. are other things that nicotine correlates with. But again, the whole point with cigarettes is you're intaking nicotine plus all these other things. Yeah. So, I think that's the basic way that you have to look at it. And I, I would say for people who want a firm overview of the scientific evidence and the data, I would point them to go look at somebody like Clive Bates because he has spent you know, decades working in public health realm and looking at these issues and looking at the data. And he's far more qualified than I'm ever going to be to speak to it. What I can tell people, though, is from my own personal experience, I felt significantly healthier when I quit smoking and when I transitioned to vaping. And at the end of the day, there are many people who will stick with vaping and will never transition off it, but there are a lot of people who also will use that as a gateway and will ultimately transition off it. And that's what I think we want to be aiming for in terms of a public health goal. And even if that's a difficult thing to accomplish, I mean, in my immediate family, we have two people who have managed to do that. So that tells me that it is possible, even with people who have been long-term addicts. Um, and I think that that's something that the FDA wants to be bearing in mind as it considers how it's going to be proceeding with any rulemaking on this subject. Listen, Liz, this has uh, really been a, a great podcast. You are wonder, a wonderful spokesman, obviously, um, not only for the vaping industry, and, um, and, and I know you're not necessarily the vaping industry. It's more the, you know, the vape shops and smaller um, you know, uh, you know, vape companies. So, um, but I, I really right. want to thank you. I, and, I think, the, and the um, vapors themselves. And the that's right. And the, yes, absolutely. At the end of the day, you know, these guys, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to sort of say anything negative about the industry per se, but you know, the industry is focused on pursuing its own needs and advocating for itself. Whereas I don't feel that vapors themselves have a lot of organization there. You know, if you're a gun owner, you have the NRA. If you're yeah. a vapor, you've got us and, and we're very nascent. So anybody yeah. who's listening to this who is a vapor, I would strongly urge you to visit our website, which is Vapors United. It's just vaporsutd.com. You can sign up. You can receive alerts from us about legislation and regulation that may be moving. You can donate to us. 
for an individual, literally, we ask you to pony up 10 bucks a year. That's it. And that helps us advance the work that we're doing. We're trying to build out this nationwide network of individual vapors where we are not reliant on industry and we are not we're not reliant on some of the bigger tobacco companies that are getting invested in this stuff um, and we're really in a position to advocate for individuals. Liz, I'm I, well, I'm certainly going to donate. I'm going to go there and I'm so glad you can you give the website one more time? Yeah, it's vaporsutd.com. Okay, great. Va- vaporsutd.com. Um I, this is this is really great. I, I could I could go on and, and talk to you about a, about a dozen more issues um, related to vaping. It is such an important issue. I really I really will tell you. you know, I I've, I've read some testimonies. Um, I sometimes go and, and read the uh, the testimonies that are submitted to the FDA when they're considering these rulemaking um, uh, th- these rules, and and they're heartbreaking. These people say, you know, I've 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 tried everything. I've tried for 30 years, you know, and I've never been able to quit. And please don't limit my access to these these products. So um, it's really great that there's an organization out there representing people who actually need these products. You're doing great work. Thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thank you so much. I'd love to come back and keep you updated. (laughs) Absolutely. We'll have you on again. So this has been another edition of IWF's Working for Women podcast. For those who listened, thank you for your time. Please come and learn more and consider making a donation to support our work at IWF, where all issues are women's issues. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by iwf.org for similar content.